The title of our message today is When Dreams Turn Into Nightmares. When Dreams Turn Into Nightmares. Have you ever had a dream that turned into a nightmare? I mean, most of us had and have, and if you haven't, you probably will. But then maybe things changed, and you're like, ah, oh, it's getting better, it's getting better, the dream is revived, or you get a new dream. And it turns back into a nightmare. You're like, how could this be happening to me? We might call this the ups and downs of life, but you know, some of us go through seasons. I think we are right now as a nation going through one where you could make the argument there's a lot more down than there is up. And yet, here's the funny thing for a follower of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm really glad that you're here. Thanks for coming. If you're watching online, great to have you. But here's the, here's the uh, interesting thing when it comes to life really not going so well for a follower of Jesus. Do you know your life might not be going well because you actually prayed for it? Now you're like, no, 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 Pastor Jim. I never prayed that my life would be just a, a complete mess. I never prayed that at all. Did you ever pray, Lord, I want people to see Christ in me? Well, um, here's the deal. People will see the peace of Christ in you normally in, tr in the trials of life. That's when they're going to see it. If things are going well for you, they're going to be like, big deal, things are going well. You know, it's like, it's like Satan says to God, Job Job's going all, all pro-God, man, because you help him. Throw some trouble his way. And God's like, yeah, hey, go have at him, man. So that's, you know, a lot of times we actually prayed that. Now, Daniel is a teenager and his three friends, and they, they had a dream life in Jerusalem. They came from prominent families. They were probably in the leadership training program. When we did the book of Proverbs, we said this, it was largely the, the Proverbs of Solomon probably used to train young leaders. And so maybe that's how Daniel and his three friends were being trained. But then in 605 BC, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians came and took them captive, maybe 700 miles all the way back to Babylon. So you're a teenager, you're maybe 14 years old, and you're taken prisoner in a far distant land. Is that a nightmare? Are you afraid? Yet the way Daniel and his three friends react to the nightmares is really a testimony. It doesn't mean they don't have their moments, but it's a testimony um, to their faith and trust in the sovereignty of God. If you don't know what that term means, let's put it, make it really basic, that, that God is, believe it or not, in control of this world. He is in control of a world where much of what happens, he hates. And he has authority over this world. You say, well, what does he hate? He hates murder. He, he hates crime. He hates sin. You say, well, how could God be in control of this, where, where Nebuchadnezzar comes in and obliterates Jerusalem and takes a bunch of people back captive to Babylon? Well, listen to what Isaiah said, the Lord said, a uh, hundred years earlier to, to King Hezekiah, Isaiah 39, 6 through 7. Behold, 
The days are coming when all that is in your house, that would be Israel, and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. So God said it's going to happen. Doesn't, doesn't put a date on it. Hezekiah knows it's not going to happen in his lifetime. You'll learn later. And they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. That's a lot of warning, wouldn't you say? And they didn't change their ways. So Daniel and his friends are taken away and lots of other people are taken away to Babylon. And we said that in week one, that we said that Daniel and his friends were entered into the three-year University of Babylon training program. The brainwashing of Babylon. Now, uh, for many of us today, particularly our young people, uh, the training program is a little bit different. Uh, it happens how? On screens. You know, the world that we carry in our pocket. Remember, we talked about that last week. Some people call today's age digital Babylon, that we are now living in digital Babylon. And at the end of chapter one, though, it looked like where we were last week, like the, the nightmare was ending. Yeah, they're in a difficult place. They're in a place they don't want to be. But, but as they start to graduate from the program, remember it said that they, Nebuchadnezzar interviewed them and he gave them a, a position and they were 10 times wiser than, than the other guys. And so maybe there's like this new dream. They're, think, they're thinking maybe they're 17 now and they're, they're thinking, hey, the, the, we're not home, but we'll get this new job. And, and, and it won't be so hard for us. And here we're, we're, we got a job and transfer to Babylon, but, but it, we'll make the best of it. But that's not as easy as it sounds. As many of you know from, from the, the, the working world, um, I mean, how, how do you live, and even in your homes, in your families, in the holidays, how do you live in an environment that hates your faith? That hates your values. And when we get to chapter 3, I think we're going to be in chapter 3 till Jesus returns. Uh, when we get to chapter 3, we're going to talk a lot about what's going on in our culture. And I think that a lot of the older people, you define if you're older, um, you don't really know what's going on. And the younger people are going to be like, how could you not know that was going on? <laughs> like... What are you, got your head in the sand? So, you know, the, the world hates our faith and our values. You know, for so many years, a lot of followers of Jesus were just trying to survive. Then a lot started falling away. People say, and I'll just give you a hint into chapter 3. People say, oh, don't worry about it. Once they have kids and turn 30 they'll come back to church. Not happening. Not happening. You're like, oh, no, 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 no. My friends, all, we all believe that. Yes. 20 years ago, yes. Now, not happening. Not happening. So we're going to we're gonna have to learn a lot about digital Babylon if we're going to reach the next generation. We're going to tell them how to live or equip them how to live in this generation. And then, boom, COVID-19 hits. What a disruption. What an earthquake. 
And here's the, here's the news that the experts say, and I think that it may even be on the downside, that among you here, among you watching online, among your friends that used to come or used to watch online, that one-third or more of self-declared Bible-believing Christians are not going to make it through the other end of COVID. So, so what are we doing? How, how many of you are here from, the, from year one of our church and on? Any of you here? Okay. So get people in the back, sound booth. Um, there's a decent amount of people that are, that are still with us from the very beginning. We were church planters, remember? Guess what we are again? We're church planters. I always say it's my personality to start a new church every two years. It's not my wife's. But we're church planting again. I'm excited. I'm not excited about the prospect of one-third to 50% of those we love falling away from the faith. I am, I am, I am in sackcloth and ashes about that. You know, when Winston Churchill was working to form the United Nations after World War II, he famously said, now Rahm Emanuel says he said it, but he didn't. It was Winston Churchill. Uh, Never let a good crisis go to waste. And, and the sovereign Lord allows these times to show the people his greatness, but also to build a new people. Not a better people, a new people. Also, he does it, he allows nightmares to come into our life to get us to pray, and as we'll see, to use the gift he, gifts he has given to us. And the church needs your gifts right now. The church needs your gifts right now. I was talking to a guy yesterday, just one of my neighbors, and he's um, doing this ministry thing, and he did, you know, I just said, let me, you're going to need some other people, and he wants to do these, you know, outreach things, and I'm like, you, you need Christians to be there, and I go, why? I go, suppose a lot of people show up, you can't talk to everyone. He's like, wow, that's right. I said, you're going to need people to keep the supply chains running. Well, I could do that, and you can't, because you're going to be talking to people. Do you need people to help with setup and cleanup and all these kinds of things? Your, your gifts are just as needed as anybody else's. People say, all I do is park cars. You're the first person they see. How many times have we said, if you're new to church planting stuff, have you seen, people make up their mind within their first seven minutes of arrival. Now, we're starting chip, uh, the services a little differently now, but normally their mind is well made up before I even take the stage. Before I even take the stage, they're like, well, nice to meet you, Pastor Jim. We'll listen to you on the radio, but we got to go. So chapter 1, verse 17, we heard about Daniel's gift. As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had, watch this, understanding in all visions and dreams. And as we go through chapter 2, you might want to, in your Bible, every time you check, uh, circle the word reveal, tell, or made known. Because these guys are in tune with the Lord. So chapter 2, verse 1, as we saw in chapter 1, Daniel's friends have graduated. So they've got their government job now. Things are looking better. And it says, now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and his spirit was so troubled 
that his sleep left him. Now, they, they may still be in school. We don't even, you know, all these timing things. Remember, we told you their timing's not, in the ancient world, not so concerned about stuff like we are. So he just can't sleep. Verse 2, then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I have had a dream, and my spirit is anxious. You know, you know many people are anxious these days. My spirit is anxious to know the dream. So apparently this dream is so bizarre We'll get to it next week, that he's not even really sure if it's a good dream, a bad dream, a nightmare. He doesn't know what it is. Now, in the ancient world, dreams were very important. It, they are in actually many parts of the country, uh, the world right now. We're getting lots of reports coming back from the Middle East uh, that people who are not followers of Jesus are having dreams of meeting Jesus in their dreams and then becoming followers of Jesus. So here's the thing. If somebody wants to believe, God seems to get the message to them. And so uh, many thought in the ancient world that dreams could predict the future. Why would that be important to be a, for a king? Because he wants to be prepared for the future. He wants, to get, he wants to get ready for the future. Now, most Bible scholars think that Nebuchadnezzar is about 30 years old right now. He, he could be the most powerful man in the world. Yet even he is concerned about the future. Yet he, even he is fearful or worried about the future. And that's how most of us think of dreams, don't we? we we're like, oh, I had a stress dream last night, right? Or, so, or somebody tells you, like, I had this dream last night. And you're like, that's a stress dream, man. You, you, you're, you're, under, you're under a lot of stress. And most people think that our dreams reveal our personal anxieties. And the fears that people have uh, that the bottom is going to fall out from their life, th those fears are real. I'm not saying that, that, that the bottom's going to fall out. I'm not saying what you dream or what you think is, is def definitely real, but it's real in your mind, isn't it? You just, you're worried, you're, you're concerned. And, and that's why I think a, it's hugely important that we have a good understanding of the sovereignty of God, that he is in control of all things and that he does have authority over all things. And he has not lost control of this world. So uh, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream and he calls these guys in. So it must be nice. You, gotta, you know you got a lot of money when you have dream interpreters on the payroll. <laughs> And so he calls in these guys into the throne room to fix the problem. Now, uh, if he's having trouble sleeping, who knows? I mean, do you think he waited till morning? Or do you think he calls them in in the middle of the night? You know, that dreaded text that goes off in the middle of the night. You ever have that happen? It's like, you know, you know your phone bill has posted online. I'm like, why are you texting me this? <laughs> like, don't, isn't, isn't your computer smart enough to text people during the middle of the day or something like that? And so I'm like, never text me again. But, but so, now some of you are saying, Pastor Jim, he couldn't have texted these people in the middle of the night. They didn't have text messaging. Well, let me tell you two things. He's rich and they are magicians. So maybe they did have text messaging in the middle of the night. So 
you know how it goes. Text goes up. You, you read it in the middle of the night, and you're, maybe his wife says to him, you know, what's the, the magicians, what's going on? And they're like, ah, this brutal king is helpless again. I got to go over to the palace. And, but there's something that they don't know about. There's help. And the Babylonians don't know that there is help for this situation because something evangelistic is about to happen. And, and we can't see it in our English Bibles. And what's about to happen is we're about to see that, um, that God and Daniel are on a mission. And, and friends, I think as much as anything, if we are not going to be a casualty of, of digital Babylon and COVID and what's going on in our culture, we're going to have to put being on the mission of God really near the top of our list. And you know, you'll know how you are on the mission of God and how you are around people. And I think you'll also notice it when it comes to worship. Because people, as we'll see later in the chapter, who are on the mission of God are worshipers. And a lot of people think, well, if, I, if, if the sermon's good and the worship's good, then I'll go on the mission. No, backwards, backwards. The, 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 the mission, if you're on the mission of God, the worship, the sermon, the service, all of that is just going to fuel and empower the mission. You say, well, how do you know they're on mission? Because right now, from verse 4, from where we're about to pick it up next, all the way through chapter 7, verse 28, it's no longer, the book of Daniel is no longer written in Hebrew. It will be written in Aramaic. Why? Because that's what the people of Babylon speak. They don't speak Hebrew. And God's having Daniel, guided by the Holy Spirit. It's almost a really, really interesting thing. Daniel's writing the book, and all of a sudden, the Lord's like, okay, now stop. I sent you to school for those three years, and one of the reasons I sent you there was to learn Aramaic. And now I want you to write in Aramaic. I want you to write in the language of the people. Now, just a quick side note, if you don't know much about the Bible, uh, most of the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, and most of the New Testament is written in Greek. But Aramaic was the most common language of, of, of the ancient world. Now, you say, well, why not the whole book? I think because a lot of the book is really written for the Jews that are in captivity in Babylon. But in these particular, what, what follows from now on through the end of chapter 7 is, is for everybody. Why? Because God is calling Babylonians to believe. So, so we've been saying that we kind of are, are living in a culture that has transitioned from this is no longer a Christian nation if it ever was. But we live in Babylon now. And as God called Daniel to reach Babylonians, God's called us to reach Babylonians. 
And so it's, it's said of Jesus in Mark's gospel, chapter 12, verse 27, that the common people heard Jesus gladly. They heard Jesus gladly. Another one says that they heard him with delight. Now, Jesus told people they were sinners. So what, what does all this mean? They understood what he was saying. It made sense. They, they weren't like, I couldn't figure out a word that guy was talking about. It wasn't like the proper religious people. Oh, hello. We're all saved by the blood of the Lamb and redeemed. Are you pagan? <laughs> that's, not the way, that's not the way Jesus talked to people. He talked to them the way they could understand it. Uh, verse 4 says, then the Chaldeans. Now, that's a, that's a term that's kind of used interchangeably for, for wise men, uh, experts in magic, or, or just generally Babylonians because they were so identified with that, with that kind of stuff. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic. That's what they speak. O king, live forever. What are they doing? They're sucking up to the boss. <laughs> that's what they're doing. Good thing to say if you want to keep your job in your head with Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, tell your servants the dream. And we will give or we will show you the interpretation. This is why we spent all that time in school. This is why, you know, this is this guy over here. You know, this is Harry Potter. He has his master's in dream interpretation, and he's working on his PhD. And, and so we'll be able, you just tell us the dream, and we'll be able to do it. Verse 5, the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, my decision is firm. In other words, don't try and talk me out of this one. If you do not make known the dream to me in its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces. So they have to tell him what his dream was, or he is going to have them cut into pieces. And your houses shall be made an ash heap. Does that sound good? That doesn't sound good. However, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, you receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. He almost makes it sound easy, doesn't he? Uh, how many of you think your boss is demanding? Yeah, not as many right now, right? <laughs> Tomorrow morning, go into work and go, well, at least he's not Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> He says, um, hey, here's the deal. Tell me my dream and tell me what it means or I'm going to hack you into pieces. Now, why would he be so demanding? Well, because a dream could reveal that someone is trying to kill him or another army is on the march. Now, some of you who maybe you're new to the Bible and you're going, this is exaggeration. Nobody would ever do that. He couldn't be that brutal. Let's fast forward about 15 to 17 years to the final invasion of Jerusalem. 2 Kings chapter 25, verse 6 and 7. King Zedekiah is caught trying to escape. And it says this. So they took the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon. That's who? Nebuchadnezzar. At Riblah, and they pronounced judgment on him. Then they killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. So they take his own sons 
and they kill him right in front of their father. Then they put out the eyes of Zedekiah, so they gouge his eyes out, bound him with bronze fetters, and took him into Babylon. What is the last thing he sees with his eyes? The murder of his own sons. Oh, he's not brutal, though. He's not brutal. So verse 7. So Harry Potter and his friends are sitting there thinking, like, what are we going to do? And one of them probably says, well, listen, (laughs) we can't do this. So we're dead anyway. Let's push back a little bit on it. So they get up their nerve and they they say, verse 7 to him, they answered again and said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will give its interpretation. And they're like, listen, we're just going to tell you the way this thing works, Nebuchadnezzar. It's not like we guess your dream and figure out what it means. You tell us, and then we interpret it for you. Verse 8, the king answered and said, oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's right. I'm sorry. My bad. No, no, no. It says, then the king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time. He goes, you guys are stalling. You guys are stalling. Because you see that my decision is firm. You know I'm not going to change my mind on this. If you do not make known the dream to me, there is only one decree for you. For you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed. What's he saying? I think you guys are a bunch of phonies. Maybe you are the guys that are going to kill me. Maybe that's what my dream is. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. Verse 10, the Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such things of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. So verse 11, we get their theology. If you don't know what theology is, let's basically call it the study of God. They said, it is a difficult thing that the king requests, and there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods. And look what it says about the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. They don't, they're not, it's not like I can go down the hallway and talk to one of the gods. They don't live here. They don't live on earth. So I just want to just go through three quick things. Well, maybe not quick, but three quick things to prep us for next week. Number one, God's people will face problems. God's people will face problems. We all know people who quit because I went to church twice and I still had problems. Really. 25 years, 30 years of complete dysfunction and you expected it to be fixed in two weeks. (laughs) <laughs> I was like, I, I joined the gym, but I didn't get in shape. Really, how many times did you go? I never went, but I joined. <laughs> Verse 12, for this reason, the king was angry and very furious and gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out and they began killing the wise men. And watch this. And they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Now, apparently they weren't in the first group of people that went to see him. There's advantages to being on the junior varsity and not on the varsity team. (laughs) 
So they're on the junior varsity. They weren't in the first line of magicians and astrologers. They've, you know, they're either still in the training program or have just graduated, and, and so, they're, so they're not there yet. And so now, but they're looking for Daniel and his companions, his three friends. Now, if you're new to the Bible, awesome, awesome. If you don't have one, we'd love to give you one. Just, just ask somebody outside, say, I want a free Bible. Be happy to, happy to give you one right into the church. We'll get one over to your house, Whatever, however you want us to get. You're watching online, we'll mail one to you, we'll get it to you. No problem, no problem at all, all right? Um, so if you're new to the Bible or you're, you're not new to the Bible, but you just never noticed this, much of it is written to and by people in difficult times. A lot of it is written in really times of great turmoil and difficulty. Why? Because God's people, followers of Jesus, are not exempt from problems. They're not. Now, now most of life is routine. Some of our problems are self-inflicted. But last week, we, we talked about how today's problems are preparing you for the future as the Lord shows you his power and his faithfulness. So this is, this is an impossible situation. Just when it seemed that Babylon might become livable for Daniel and his friends, now this. Because God needs to move us all, he needs to change our theology to move us from the question of why God, which is a typical question we have at the beginning, to what are you doing, God, to what are you teaching in me, God, right now? What are you changing in me right now, God? And often, it is God is teaching us to trust him more while others are watching. While others are watching. Your friends are, and your family members and your coworkers and mine as well are far less interested in your so-called apologetic arguments. If you don't know what apologetics are, it is, it is the defense of the faith. And those of you that study apologetics are going to hate me when we get to chapter 3. <laughs> You're going to hate me because most of what you know is useless now <laughs> for people under 45, under 50 even. So, so God is, 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 is teaching us to trust him so what is God doing for these guys? God is getting them ready for the arrows and bullets of leadership. Because, you know, a lot of people want to be leaders, and I know we want everything quick, but there's just some things that you can't do quick, right? You know, when, I, I, when I do premarital counseling, I, I, I know I insult these young love people who are in love. And I'm like, you don't even know each other. <laughs> you don't even know each other. And, and it takes a long time. And, and, and so, you know, we want everything quick and, and things that are really worthwhile in life, guess what? They don't come quick. They take time. 
And so most people, they want to be leaders. They want to be the boss, but you know what? They're not ready. And then they get to be the leader and the boss too soon and they hate it. Or they, or they have great success right out of the box and they don't, they don't really get their teeth kicked in. I don't mean in a literal sense, although it might feel that way. And, and, they, and then they lack the humility. Most people need thicker skin. They need thicker skin. If you have very thin skin, it will become such an enemy to you. Let me give you an example. I know a lot of pastors. I know a lot of pastors. And I would say, statistically, they say it's a third. I, again, don't believe that. I think it's more than that. I think a lot of them are staying at it because it's their job and it's the only way they feed their family and they didn't do good at saving money. But they say a third of pastors right now want to leave the ministry. I think it's far more. I think it's far more. Why? Because no pastor feels like they're doing a good job in the midst of COVID. Nobody does. Nobody does. People over here. I cannot believe you're having church. Like you, you, what are you trying to kill us? Then other people are over here. I can't believe that there's any restrictions of us having church. And then people over here, well, we should, we should have church, but we should play it safe. We should have church, but not play it safe. The opinions are all over the place. You can't make everybody happy. So, so what, you say, why would so many pastors want to leave the church? Because they're only listening to the critics. They're only listening to the critics. I was a trucking company dispatcher for 17 or 18 years. I hated almost every minute of it. I am so thankful for it now. Because <laughs> I've learned that the, pe- the reason people are critical is they're miserable. They're miserable. And that's why I don't watch the news. I'm like, I don't want a bunch of people in misery. I mean, I understand that bad news sells, and I understand that if you want to make, if you really want to, if you want to grow something, just create enemies. That's all you really need to do. But they listen to critics who are, who are clearly not leaders. Now you say, well, that doesn't concern me. I'm not, I'm not a leader. But let me tell you something. I know that most all of you have experienced some sort of mockery for your faith from your friends, your family members, and your coworkers. I know that. And God has to grow you in him and in his mission to have the thick skin to be able to stand up under that. I know many of you have received because you're a Christian and it may not be tied to your Christianity on the, on the outside, but it is on the inside. Many of you have experienced unfair treatment at work. Maybe you've undergone some sort of religious persecution. Some people have experienced racism really because of their faith when it comes down to it. It's just another reason why I don't like you. 
So how do you, how do you move forward? How do you move forward? How, how, does a God, how does a teenager move forward in this when his life is on the line? He realizes, and this is, this is, this is so simple, and you go like, I've heard this a thousand times before, but it, you see, until it goes from here into here, it's not going to work. He realizes that God is bigger than his problems. No matter how big they are, and no matter how many come at him. He realizes how big God is. He has a good theology of sovereignty, that God is in control, and he puts those things together, and that keeps him on the mission because he says, you know what? This other stuff is just noise that is meant to keep me off the mission. I don't mean to be rude. I don't mean to be rude. But I left the business world when people told me I was crazy to leave the company that the companies that I sold. And when I taught through 1 Corinthians, if you were here, remember when I got to it when Paul, Apostle Paul said, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. And that's my calling. And you know what? I'm not gonna let any critics stop me from that. And don't you do it either. And don't you do it either. Don't let those critics take you off the mission that God has put you on. Because God is bigger than their mouths. And if you got to ignore them, you ignore them. Well, that was number one. Number two. God's people face problems with prayer. God's people face problems with prayer. Now I gotta wipe my eyes. Verse 14. Then with counsel and wisdom. Uh, one version says with prudence. It's not a word that we use very often. It, it basically means with 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 caution with respect. In other words, he doesn't go in there as a bulldozer. You say, why don't you watch the news? I'm tired of the bulldozers. I'm tired of the opinions. Just tell me what happened. You know, all this gun violence that's now gone, it's resurfaced again. I mean, it's always been there, but it's just crazy. Stop blaming everybody for it. Just, could you be sad for just a minute? With counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard. That could be the chief of the executioners who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, and he's respectful. Why has the decree from the king, why was the decree from the king so urgent? Why is he in such a hurry? Another version says, why is this so harsh? Then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. Now, the fact that he would answer him, that's the grace of God. Let's stop for one second. Notice, 
We haven't gotten to the point yet, but Daniel doesn't run from the problem. He runs to the problem in the strength of God. Verse 16, so Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. So he totally trusts God and, and he asked for time. Now the other guys asked for time and what were they told? No. Then Daniel went to his house. What does that mean? That God gave Daniel grace with Nebuchadnezzar. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. So what did he do? Here's what he did. He went back to his community group. <laughs> That's what he did. He said, scrap the questions. We need to pray. <laughs> he went back to his friends. Some of us are wondering, why are so many people leaving the faith? Because they don't have the core of Christian friends that they used to have. Most of their influence is coming from their screens and from the television and from their other friends. And you gotta, you gotta nurture Christian friendships. I'm not saying you don't have both. Verse 18, they have a prayer meeting. They have a prayer meeting. How many of you think it was boring? Some of our prayer meetings are so boring. Oh, God. Uh, it's like, oh, God. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I don't think this one was boring. I don't think this one was boring. So they pray, verse 18, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Notice, man, this is amazing for a teenager. But I tell you what, if you give teenagers time, they will amaze you. Don't get a big head over there, you teenagers. But they will really amaze you. They will amaze you. He is so anchored in God. There's no panic. There's no anxiety. There's trust in the Lord. And his trust and his prayer begins to bring clarity to the situation. Daniel has a real gift of wisdom. It's not that he just knows what to do in, the right, in a certain situation. It, it's that he knows how to speak to people. And he knows that he needs a time of prayer. And real wisdom is doing the right things even if it looks foolish to other people. You say, where's that in the text? You could just picture Ariok going, you can go talk to him, but, you know, don't get used to your head, man. <laughs> but Daniel knew the word of God. Wasn't there another guy in the Bible who had to interpret a dream by the name of Joseph? Who ended up become Pharaoh, he went from prison to Pharaoh's right a slave in prison to Pharaoh's right-hand man. God came through, but this situation's even harder. Joseph knew the dream. Daniel doesn't know the dream. But 
Remember chapter 1 said that Daniel was 10 times wiser than the wise men of Babylon. Why? Because he has what we learned in the book of James. He has wisdom from above. He has wisdom from God. So he goes to his friends and says, we have to go to God together. What do do most of us do? We go straight to worry, don't we? (laughs) We go straight to panic. You know, Daniel going to Nebuchadnezzar, you might say, well, this is a crazy teenager. To me, it just shows he's, he's self-assured in his faith and trust. But going to his friends for prayer shows us that he is not self-reliant. This is a very important point, really, in, in, the, in the modern, again, chapter 3, the, the modern religion of self. That is the, that is the, that is the religion and, and because at some point, we all know that you will fail yourself. You will fail yourself. And when you fail yourself, sometimes that's the harshest crash, right? That's the most difficult crash. And, and we, we, we flippantly throw it around like, well, you just need to trust the Lord. You just need to trust the Lord. Uh, that's easier said than done, which is why often God puts your back to the wall in situations where you have to realize and believe that nobody but the Lord has the power to help. I'm convinced one of the best ways to learn about the sovereignty and the power of God is when God lets our dreams turn into nightmares. Because crisis is an incredibly good teacher, isn't it? I mean, when you're in a crisis, you got to be careful. It is very easy to fall away. Well, how, how, how does it happen? Well, Bible reading kind of goes to the side. Prayer, yep, that goes to the side. Church, Service to the kingdom of God goes to the side. And then your Christian friends, they start calling you, and you're dumping in voicemail. Or they text you, and you're like, oh, yeah, I'll respond later. And you never respond. But Daniel was different. Prayer and the gathering with the people of God. This is a very important point. Prayer and gathering with the people of God were not important to Daniel. Now you say, they're not important. It's very important. No, 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 no. Not important to Daniel. Essential to Daniel. It wasn't like, yeah, that's a pretty important thing for me to do. No, 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 no. He would would tell us, no, if you want God to act, you have to do this. You have to do this. It's not important. It is essential. It is required. That takes us to number three. God's people face problems with praise. Verse 19 is really amazing. He's, he's threatened with death. And what does he do? Does he go back to his friends and compl- uh, complains? Ah, oh, gosh, this is so unreasonable. Nope. 
Goes back to his friends. They have a prayer meeting, and it seems like he goes to bed. (laughs) Verse 19, then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So their prayer was answered. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Now, remember the theological answer of the, of the magicians? They're like, God, God's, they don't, they're not around here. They can't tell us this. We see Daniel's theological answer is a response of praise. Look at verse 20. Daniel answered and said, so first he begins with God's sovereignty. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. He changes the times and the seasons He removes kings and raises up kings. Now, I know this is going to be shocking to some of you that are now following the religion of politics. That's not a joke. (laughs) It's not a joke. It may be a bigger exit of people out of Christianity than the virus. It's huge. The Lord is in control of political changes. So if you don't like what's going on, you can go talk to God. Now, just because God's, you know, sovereign over this stuff doesn't mean he likes it. Maybe he's, maybe, you know, we, we think, well, how could God do this? Maybe he's just saying, well, maybe this will stop my church from being so flaky. Now, does that mean we do nothing? No. No, look at, look at what he continues. He says, he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. So what does he do? He gives revelation to his people what to do in a crisis. Daniel's praising God for that. Verse 22, he reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness. He knows what's in the darkness. And light dwells with him. That gives me great confidence. Verse 23, I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You know what he does? He gives credit to previous generations. You would think that he would be like, we're down here in Babylon because of the idiots that lived 100 years before me. But he doesn't. He gives credit to those who were faithful to God in the generations before him. We, we who are followers of Jesus, are followers of Jesus because of the faithfulness of the generations that were before us. We owe them. And what would they want us to do? The same thing they did for us. Not go into our Christian foxhole, right? But to get up and get going. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might and have made known... To me, so it's personal, that we ask what we asked of you, for you have made known to us, speaking to the people of God, the king's demand. Now, you would think, if he knew the whole dream, that he would want to run right over to Nebuchadnezzar. Wouldn't you think that? Wouldn't you think that? 
But not Daniel. He makes time for praise. I mean, we're too busy with so many things. And, and here's a guy, you know, he's like, he could be, they could be coming with the ax. And he makes not enough time. You're not quick enough, Daniel. And he makes time for praising the Lord. How important for all of us is we see in Daniel that he is pushing us to more real, heartfelt praise. And maybe these are just some of the simple takeaways for us today. To be on God's mission, which is a lifestyle, not just a Sunday thing, and to praise the Lord both in dreams and in nightmares. Perhaps to remember to praise the Lord when he answers your prayers before you move on to the next crisis <laughs> or the next project. I find that praise has a way of, of dealing with pressure. And it's a reminder of God's power and our constant need for it. Right now, in your life, you may feel surrounded by Babylon. You may feel surrounded by the wisdom and power of Babylon and maybe you just want to escape. You want to give up. You want to, you want to run away. Well, I pray for followers of Jesus that God would give us and we would pursue him, the passion of Daniel for God and the things of God. I pray that every time we open up the word of God, both here and on our own, God would reveal or make known to us his heart. And then we would walk in wisdom. If you're here watching online, another place in the building, and you don't know God, you can through Jesus Christ. You don't have to believe the lie we read in this chapter. Do you know there was a lie in this we read? Verse 11 is a lie that, that, the, that, that God doesn't dwell with flesh. That's a lie. Little gods don't, but big G does. You know, we often say around here, God became a man in the person of Jesus of Nazareth or in the person of Jesus Christ. I think sometimes we forget how radical that is. <laughs> or my California friends, how rad. <laughs> that is so radical that God would become a human and dwell among us in perfect wisdom, in perfect obedience, completely sinless, and trusting God all of the time. Jesus had problems, and he prayed, and he praised his heavenly Father. I mean, it's really, it's really amazing. I mean, he... He, the last week of his life. I mean, they're going to kill him. That's, would you call that a problem? That's a problem. In the Garden of Gethsemane, what is he doing? He could escape. He could call down legions of angels. What is he doing? He's praying. At the Last Supper, he knows it's, this, he knows it's going down. Less than 24 hours, it is going down. He's, he's going to be on that cross. What is he doing? He's giving thanks. He's praising God. He knows he's going to die on the cross. 
for your sins, for my sins, for your failures, for my failures. But Jesus had to die on the cross alone. Daniel had friends that were right there with him. Jesus' friends, they all deserted him. So he had to do it without friends. He had to even do it without God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He said from the cross. Why did he do that? So you and I would never be alone, even in Babylon. You see, God had a dream to save his people from their sins. And the cross, well, that looked like a nightmare. But when Jesus rose from the dead, the dream of eternal life will come true to all who put their trust in Jesus. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a trophy of God's grace. Not just the forgiveness of sins, but the grace of God will be seen in ordinary life. It will be seen in adversity. It will be seen in challenges. As the Apostle Peter said, after we have suffered a little while, God will restore and strengthen us forever. And that is what we look forward to. Well, let's stand and pray.